Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. There's that music we're looking forward to let us know that another Birds 365 episode is underway. Jody McDonald here. Today, my co-host will be Jeff Curry. You see his smiling face. But undaunted, we are joined by the usual co-host, John McMullen, who's got COVID testing duties today. But he always hops on to get the show off on the right foot with us. Uh, Mr. McMullen, no, you had bird duties yesterday. Coordinators in the house or on the Zoom, depending on how you look at it. Um, I went back and listened to uh, the meetings that you guys had with them. Anything jump out at you, JM, that you didn't think was going to be said? Or was it uh, what... You pretty much knew it was going to come as soon as uh, you got in front of both of the coordinators for yeah, the Philadelphia Eagles. It certainly is when Shane Steichen is talking. Shane does not give you anything. He makes Mike Groh look like uh, the most. He, <laughs> you know, he he might he he makes Mike Groh look like a Bill Belichick dissertation on long snappers. I mean, he does not he does not offer up anything. I, you know, I try to figure out why. And I, I, when you're a coordinator for, for the side of the ball, the head coach is the expert on. Maybe you don't feel comfortable uh, saying certain things. Um, you know, obviously, Michael Clay, the Eagles special teams has actually been really good uh, from a coverage perspective um, over the first two games. And Aaron Cipas has been great. They had the block field goal, but Nobody cares about special teams to begin with. They should, but they don't. Um, so it's it's always about JG. He's the headliner. He's like Sinatra playing the lounge, and everybody else is 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 just the opening act. So he tends to give you something. I mean, I mean, look, part of it is the opponents, but the Eagles' defense has been pretty good over the first two weeks. Uh, from their perspective, you got to get two wins. They're top five in total defense, top five in scoring defense, top five in third down defense, top five in passing defense. But they haven't turned the ball over. So that's what I asked them. How much of that uh, of a concern of, uh, is that? And you and I, Jody, talked about the hits principle, the hits philosophy. They haven't turned it over. But you can't teach turnovers. No matter how much these coordinators say, you can't teach turnovers. You can go get a Marlon Humphrey, like I said yesterday, guy who has a knack for it. But it's it's always about the players. And I, I don't know if the Eagles have many playmakers on, on the back seven opposite uh, other than Darius Slay. But, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you can't count on them from week to week. So I, I have a difficult time criticizing the defense i mean if they stay top five and that's going to be difficult obviously with the schedule upcoming starting with dallas and then you have kansas city and obviously tampa bay close as well um if they stay respectable that's that's pretty good john i wanted to ask you about the whole brandon graham thing and i i caught a gist of the press conference that 
I guess it was more Jonathan Gangate coach before. Well, really, everybody's got to step up for Graham, but who really is it going to be? Well, I, I mean, I think in, in the sense that they're going to keep with the rotation. I mean, they believe in the defensive line rotation. So I think it's still going to be a four-man rotation. From So from that perspective, uh, I think he's telling the truth. But obviously, you got a main guy. And if you want to get your best players on the field, well, one of the two, Derek Barnett and Josh Sweat, has to now play left defensive end. And that's ultimately where I think they're going to go because I don't think they want to really ramp up Ryan Kerrigan snaps at this stage of his career to, to starter-like snaps. And then the fourth guy I think is the wild card is Milton Williams because um, when they drafted Milton Williams, they kind of said, they thought he was very similar body type wise, skill set wise to Brandon Graham. And that was their hope to turn him into that type of player. Now, Brandon's natural position is outside and he moves inside. Uh, Milton's natural position is inside and he moves outside. But I think he's going to have to ramp up playing a little bit more on the outside. John, uh, you mentioned that they may have to move if you're getting trying to get your two best guys on the field, then uh, you don't worry about positional uh, sides of the ball, then it's pretty easy what he's going to do. He's going to get uh, Sweat out there. And Sweat seemed to be the guy who moved last week more so. Um, how difficult is that? We've seen it more so on the offensive line when you try and ask a guy to come from the left side to the right side. There's no stunting on the offensive line. Every once in a while you ask a guy to pull, but it's not the, quite the same as stunting. But they stunt all the time on the defensive line. How big an ask is that to move a guy from one side to the other at the defensive end position? Yeah, it can be talked about too. It's usually – you know, sort of player dependent. And you look at it on the offensive line. And we always talk about Andre Dillard, who seemed defeated before he was even on the field trying to move sides, whereas other guys may not be comfortable with it, but they just put their head down and try to fight through it. And I think that was one of the concerns about the Eagles, not that Andre Dillard failed. The fact that he didn't want to try to fight through it as, as hard as perhaps he probably should have. Um, so it, it's player dependent. Some guys are really comfortable with it. Brandon Graham would be an example. He doesn't care. Um, are, are Derek Barnett and, and Josh Sweat going to be that same type of, of, of player? Just have to wait and see. Obviously, I think they're both willing to do it. I don't, I don't think that's a concern. How comfortable they are doing it, you just got to wait and see. John, one of the things I was – I, I guess it's a topic of controversy this week in Philadelphia. Jalen Hurts throwing the ball across the middle of the field. And I, I, the next-gen stats obviously tell the picture here. He he doesn't. Do you think that's more on Jalen Hurts, or do you think that's Nick Sariani just trying to not elaborate on Jalen Hurts' so-called weakness? Yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's a combination of both. I think he's hesitant uh, to pull the trigger at times, and, and that really affects you throwing the football to the middle of the field. But let's be honest. I mean, they haven't, they haven't called a lot of plays in the middle of the field. So the coaching staff, and they, they've admitted that was part of the game plan in Atlanta. There's a lot of underneath stuff to the outside. Uh, against San Francisco, it was a lot of deep stuff because they were down the 
the two starting corners. Um, so most of it was game planning. And to me, that's the interesting question. I've talked about this a lot, Jeff, already. It, are, are, are they game planning specifically for the opponents or are they game planning with the note that Jalen doesn't do this very well? Obviously, the second part is far more concerning uh, than the first part, uh, because, and I and I told and I talked about this with Jody yesterday. We were told that this season was about you know answering questions, and the biggest question in this transition phase is, okay, where are we at quarterback? Is this our quarterback for the future, or do we have to go look in a different direction? next off season. Well, if if you don't allow the quarterback, if you don't take off the training wheels and allow the quarterback to throw the football over the middle of the field, how are you going to answer that question? How are you going to answer that question affirmatively or negatively? So if this continues the way it's going, and I don't think it will, I don't think it can, but if it does, the people nobody likes, uh, Howie Roseman's got to step in and say, Nick, this is about more than than beating Dallas on Monday night. And I know coaches never want to hear that, but that's the truth. John, uh, on the defensive side, uh, the Cowboys down a key wide receiver, but they have a roster full of wide receivers. They got a lot of wideouts on their roster. And judging by their first couple of weeks of personnel on the field, they still don't look afraid to go to four wide receiver sets. Now they got two very good running backs. They don't put them both on the field, which by, Oh, I should get your take on that too. Whatever happened to the uh, game? Well, and miles Sanders on the speed. field. Yeah. 21 yeah, speed. Like, we haven't seen a lot of that. Have we yet? Tony <laughs> I get excited. I, I, I put the Eagles personnel groupings for the first two games. 21 speed. Guess how many times it's been on the field, guys? At least twice. First two games. Once. Once. Once, Once in two games. Yeah. Uh, One that's... time. It, go, it goes the way of 21 pony. I always go back <laughs> to 21 pony. Darren Sproles, Danelle Pumphrey. Danelle Pumphrey was a rookie. Everybody looked at his stats in college. You know, no pads, T-shirts, shorts. These two look phenomenal together. How are you going to deal with it? And the pads come on, and oh, we got to block somebody. And, <laughs> Twenty-one pony. Same yeah. thing with twenty-one speed. Twenty-one little, speed. Yeah, don't expect much of that. Little, little overstated. And the Cowboys don't do it either with their. Even though they've got two primetime backs, they don't put them on the field together. Uh, it's a one back set, or it's a no back set. Four wide receivers. If that's the case, if the Cowboys ended ending up running a lot of that. Who's the extra cornerback on the field? Does it matter or is it a matchup thing? Or is there a specific order where somebody comes off the bench and is in their four cornerback look? Or are they going to go to a three safety look more often? Uh, You know, there's a lot of ways they can go. Obviously, you know, structured in that the top three corners are, are, are blocked. And, and by the way, uh, they're also, uh, playing at a pretty high level, which I think is one of the um, one of the pleasant surprises through the first two games is just how well uh, Darius Slay, Steven Nelson, and Avante Maddox have played. Now, Avante didn't play a whole heck of a lot 
because they were worried about San Francisco's running scheme and they they played Gennard Avery more um, and, and they really had these run packages ramped up. So it, it kind of, if Rodney McLeod was healthy and ready to go, I think they'd be more likely to play big nickel and play the three safeties. Um, so it kind of depends on, on, on what Jonathan Gannon wants. He always talks about it. Uh, it it's, and he's proven to be that through the first two games. He really has come up with different game plans for different opponents. So it it, it, it kind of comes down to who he's more comfortable with against uh, the matchup. But when you're talking about the fourth corner on this team, and that's why you got to cross your fingers and say, got to help those, you got to hope those top three guys I talked about stay healthy. Because then you're down to Zach McPherson or Andre Shashure, who just got here and has played well on special teams, and Mac McCain, who just got here. You don't want to you don't want those guys on the field. I, I think he would default to big nickel and have Epps and Wallace because they played a little bit longer. It becomes easier when Rodney McLeod comes back though. John, when I did my stock up, stock down for the Eagles this week, I, I was a harsh grayer of Devonta Smith. I gave him a stock down. I thought, you know, you you're basically matching up against a fifth-round pick in your draft class, you're a top-ten pick, you should beat him. Uh, I think he only had, like, I, both his catches were against Leonore, but he only had two catches for 17 yards on seven targets. So what was your evaluation of Devonta Smith Sunday? Uh, yeah, rookie sort of hiccup that you knew what was coming. I, I thought, you know, there was one play, which I brought up a couple times, where it was really Jalen Hurts' fault. He didn't get the football out on time. I was designed to get Dallas Goddard underneath. Um, they would have gotten an easy first down. For whatever reason, he hesitated, um, maybe got a little bit greedy, and he went for Devontae Smith. They were sort of cutting off the field in the typical high-low read, but this was this was a, a low-high read. So it was Goddard first, Smith second. And I, I don't know this for a fact, but it certainly looked like Devontae – assumed the ball was going to Dallas Goddard um, because that was the plan and, and didn't really finish his route or, or run his route the same he would typically do if the football was designed to come to him. That, that just from watching the film is sort of speculation, uh, but that is a typical rookie mistake for a receiver. You know, oh, the ball's not coming – to me, I can take a little bit, not take a play off, but I don't have to run it like I normally run it. And then all of a sudden, the quarterback doesn't get the ball where he's supposed to, and he's looking at you, and you're not open because you didn't, you didn't, you didn't run the route the way you're supposed to. Obviously, he's a good route runner. He's just got to, it's just got to do it consistently. Would be my answer. J Mac, uh, although the Eagles won't commit to it, probably till Monday, right before the game as to who's going to step in and play for Brandon Brooks. Uh, in the game this past week when he went down, it was certainly Landon Dickerson. And uh, Dickerson did not grade out real well. We had Dave Zingaro on yesterday. He said he went back, rewatched the tape, and Dickerson wasn't quite as bad as advertised. Well, when you give up five hurries or five quarterback pressures and 20 dropbacks, that's not good anyway. You slice it. Uh, so I'm not sure what Dave saw that made him think it's not as bad as you – would uh, in first grade, uh, I know Pro Football Focus stuck a really low grade on him as well. 
How much improvement can we expect from Dickerson this week just because he gets another full week of practice under his belt and he gets to practice with the guys who's going to be playing with all week because uh, uh, Mr. Brooks is done for and still to be determined amount of time. Yeah, I, I don't think the practice is as big as a deal is the, the knowing that he's probably going to start. And I think I think where Dave is right is he's going to start. If you were going to pull the trigger in that game, you're probably not going to go back to Nate Herbig. Um, but remember, because they were, you know, they were already dealing with injuries uh, for Brandon. They were kind of managing him during practice. He wasn't doing a lot uh, during practice to begin with. Wasn't really doing much at all Wednesday and Thursday. Then he would ramp up and do a little bit on Friday, which is the uh, the shortest and the and the least heavy workload practice of the week. So Landon was practicing with the first team uh, last week as well because they were just trying to manage Brandon Brooks. So I don't think it's that. I think it's more of he knows he's starting. He's preparing like he's a starter. And he's not getting thrown into the deep end of the pool in game after his first week back at practice. Because that was also his first week back at practice as a full participant. So I think that part of it is is the bigger aspect of it. And I think he will be better. But, yeah, I, I can't. There's where Dave and I disagreed with. As a pass protector, I thought he was worse when I went back and looked at it. I thought he was fine uh, as a run blocker. But, yeah, I saw that pro football focus grade i've never seen one that low I, they might have been a little bit too harsh i mean maybe i would have given them a 10 instead of a 4.9 but it wasn't good let's let's put it that way depends on the scale i guess john i don't know if you looked further into that pro football focus but i think that the overall pass blocking grade was or like it was like a true pass block i think it was like two or something like it was actually yeah. four it was i've never seen a lower grade so I, I mean, I, I think that's too harsh. I think I've seen worse performances. Uh, I've seen some pretty bad performances. It's justice comes uh, to mind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't <clears throat> think it's the worst I've ever seen, but it, it was it was not good from a pass protection standpoint. I got to bring up Brooks again. I'll piggyback off Jody here. Uh, you know, this is now the third major injury he's had since 2019, and, you know, for me, I'm looking at it as, okay, this guy's making a lot of money this year, next year. You have to worry, how long are the Eagles going to put up with this? And, you know, if Dickerson plays well, if this could be Brooks's last year here. Yeah, I mean, they were looking to deal him, Brandon uh, confirmed that himself this offseason. So they were already at that point. Yeah, I mean, I, I've said since they drafted Landon Dickerson, the goal was he, he's going to be a starter in 2022. The question is just where? And everybody, and you know this, Jeff, everybody focused in on Isaac Sayamalo. It's not Isaac Sayamalo. He's replacing um, either Jason Kelsey or Brandon Brooks. Now, in Jason's case, that's if he retires or not. Uh, if he doesn't retire and he wants to keep playing, uh, he's going to be the center. Um, and then that leaves Brooks. That leaves one left. And they already looked to deal him, looked to deal him for those reasons you just said, older player, really expensive, big, big injury history. And here we are in week two, and we got another uh, significant injury. Um, 
but that's why they couldn't trade him as well. I mean, other teams are not dumb. Everybody knows he's a good player when he's out there. Just hasn't been able to stay out there. So, yeah, I mean, that's it. Brandon Graham's in that same category as well. He'll be 34 next year, makes a lot of money coming off uh, an Achilles tear. These are the bad cop decisions Howie Roseman has to make. And yeah, I, I would I would lean in Brandon Brooks's case, I would lean on the fact that that's where Landon Dickerson's gonna start next year and to replace him. John, uh wanna jump back over to the defensive line for just a second. Um, you kind of mentioned that uh, Jonathan Gannon is uh, the kind of guy who's gonna play his cards close to the vest. He's not gonna tell you guys anything in advance. Uh, let me give you some healthy speculation. Jannard Avery did, I think, with seven tackles, had the fourth most tackles on the Eagles last week. I'm trying to remember after watching the game live and then going back and watching it, there were no splash plays by Jannard Avery for me. That I said, wow, ooh, uh, he stepped up there. He made a nice play there. Um, so he did his job, but I don't know that he did that anything much above it at the linebacker position. He, of course, is a former defensive end. They seem committed to him now being a basically full-time linebacker. Um, because Brandon Graham's going to be done for the entire year, do they think about making him the type of player who can go back and forth between two positions? And will we see that starting this weekend? They could, um, but it's a difficult transition to begin with. Um, I think – they like their depth at defensive line as well um, to begin with. And as I said, I think, I think the key part of this is going to be Milton Williams uh, moving more, playing more outside than he has been. In training camp, remember, Milton played more outside than inside. It was the exact opposite. Uh, and they were trying to ramp him up for that later down the road as a potential, as I said, replacement from Brandon Graham. So, I just think you speed that up uh, in the case of Avery. Yeah, you could do it. I mean, this is probably the San Francisco game. That's probably the most he's going to play all season. Uh, that's the most you're going to see him play the Sam linebacker because of what San Francisco does. They play more 21 than anybody else. Um, they play a ton of 12. So he wanted those big bodies on the field. He wanted Jannard Avery on the field not as much of Monte Maddox. Now it's going back to normal. Dallas, typical 11 personnel team. Avante is going to be on the field 80% of the time, maybe even more depending on how they game plan. And Jadard Avery's not going to play all that much. Um, so you could, from a work, point, work uh, standpoint, have them play both positions. Uh, but I, I think they would be more comfortable with Milton Williams anyway. And then they, you know, we haven't talked about Teron Jackson, their other rookie defensive end who had to play a little bit, didn't impress, but he was playing against Trent Williams. Um, so they have plenty of help that I think they would, they would deem as better than, than doing the dual thing with, with Jannard Avery. John, uh, I wanted to get your evaluation of Darius Slay. I think he's played really well. The first two weeks, and despite you know, the, I mean, the 49ers didn't even try to challenge him last week, and you know, I, I think a lot of that has to do with uh, you know, we talk about the lack of turnovers by this defense. Well, I, I think he's the one guy who can actually 
get turnovers for this team. It's kind of like a Bryce Harper with the Phillies right now. Why pitch to him if he's going to beat you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think all the Eagles corners have played well, but certainly Darius is the key to it all, and he's he's certainly the number one. Um, they played eight quarters of football and given up one explosive play in the passing game. I mean, you watch these games, Jeff. You get 10 a game uh, on certain teams. They've given up one play of 20 or more yards in, in, the, in the passing game. I, I don't – I can't complain about that. And even Jonathan Gannon was disappointed because obviously the 40-yard play to Debo Samuel was a big play in the game, uh, and it really hurt the Eagles. Ultimately, that led to San Francisco taking the lead and, and changed the entire uh, complexion of the game. But you got to be realistic. I mean, that's unbelievable in the modern NFL. Now, how did they do it, though? They're playing a ton of zone. They don't blitz. Philadelphia doesn't like that. I, You know, no turnovers. Look, I'd love to have turnovers, but if you ask me, would you rather have a bunch of turnovers or a top five defense in the top and the second scoring defense in the NFL? I'm going to take the top five defense in the, in the team that's not giving up any points. Right. Uh, now, part of that is the competition. You got to be realistic. Atlanta's not good. San Francisco is not explosive offensively uh, outside Samuel. Uh, and that's why they want to get Trey Lance on the field um, at some point. You know, that's going to change presumably somewhat against Dallas and Kansas City and Tampa. You're going to give up some plays against those teams. So it's not going to be as good uh, in the upcoming weeks. But for right now, I, I, get, I have a really difficult time criticizing that defense. John, you know, I told you on Monday, I was a little disappointed in uh, the head coach's media availability day after uh, that he twice leaned back on, well, uh, I'm not going to address something that happened before I was here. The two questions were about uh, Jalen Hurts not throwing the ball over the middle last year when he jumped in as a starter. And the other one was about Derek Barnett and the really foolish, dumb, awful penalty he took for unnecessary roughness. And uh, he said, his history is his history. I I, clean slate when I come in as a head coach. I don't buy that. That's just me. That's how I would handle it if I were in that uh, position as the coach. Um, Jonathan Gannon is going to be the guy who's also going to have to deal with Barnett because he's on his side of the ball. Did you get a uh, feeling how JG's conversation went with Derek Barnett either immediately after the play, after the game, or since that that just is the kind of play you can't have when you're trying to win games against good teams in the NFL? Yeah, I mean, you, you probably didn't like his answer as well, Jody. I mean, it was similar to Nick's in the in the thought process that he talked about disciplined and things like that. And obviously, he gets uh, uh, Derek. I'm sure got a talking to from Tracy Rocker and 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 Jonathan Gannon and Nick Sirianni uh, because he does have a history of doing it. Um, they're not going to throw him under the bus uh, in a public setting which I agree with. Um, but more impressed was Kayvon Wallace because, you know, JG said what I always say. That, that's baked in, man. That's bang, bang. There, there's nothing you can do about that. So you just play the next play. Yeah. I, I know how fans get so upset at those calls. That's the league. 
I mean, that's part of it. These coaches understand that's going to happen to you. Sometimes they're going to go your way. Sometimes they're not going to go your way. There is absolutely nothing you can do about it. That's the modern NFL. And so I was more impressed with this answer toward um, the Kayvon Wallace penalty than the Derek Barnett, which was more of you got to be disciplined, you got to be smart, football IQ. You know, Derek's been around long enough to know that he's probably an over-aggressive player. And, you know, Andrew Sandeo was here for a little bit of while. People remember, there's a perfect example. I mean, once you get the reputation, too, the flag's coming out. So when you have a player like that, you either deal with it or you don't. And it ain't changing is what I'm trying to say. So is the player worth it or is he isn't isn't worth it? Well, they need him now, so it's not going to be about uh, this season. But next season, I mean, it was more – it was likely they weren't going to re-sign him. They made their decision with Josh Sweat. Now it's complicated a little bit by Brandon Graham's injury, but that's more of a, a Howie Roseman question, to be honest. Do you deal with it? Is the player worth dealing with or isn't he? And you move on or you don't move on. John, what was your take on the Kayvon Wallace penalty? I, you know, I, I'm still mixed about it. Like, I understand Kayvon Wallace's side of it. I understand Jonathan Gannon's side of it. But it's been four days, and I'm still not sure whether that should have been called or they were a little too harsh on Kayvon. I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I thought Anthony Harris should have been called for a penalty, to be honest. Uh, I thought the penalty should have been 15 yards on Anthony Harris for throwing a forearm. Uh, to the back of, of Sermon's head. Um, and, and that would have been from a, a, a game-keeping standpoint. Um, that would have been the way they did it. The way they called it, to me, the most upsetting, I'm not, not upset, but if we want to use that word, that if, if the call is on Kayvon Wallace, I think the ball's already out, Um then you then you can say it's is this a post you have to have that conversation is this a post play foul if it's a post play foul well the eagles should have had the football and got backed up 15 yards um if it's in play as they argued obviously it went the way it went which is why i think i think the real penalty was on anthony harris so i can't get uh too worked up about it from KG's standpoint. I mean, I don't get worked up about this stuff to begin with because it's just part of the game. And then the second part is it should have been, if it wasn't on Wallace, it should have been a foul on Harris. So who cares? You, you should have got a 15 yard penalty. John, last one for me. Um, you mentioned about how if you have your choice between having a defense that gets takeaways or a defense that ranks number two in the league against points against, yeah, give me the uh, one that's not giving up any points, which I agree wholeheartedly with you. Dallas is kind like of the flip. Both, though, Jody. I'd like yeah, if you, if you can get both, yes. Right. Uh, we well, want your cake and eat it too. You and I would be the same there. Uh, Dallas is the uh, opposite of the Eagles. Uh, they are giving up a bunch yeah. of points. They are giving up a bunch of yards. But they got six turnovers to this point. Uh, that does not bode well for their defense if they have six turnovers and they're as uh, lowly statistically ranked as they are. 
how do the Eagles, if you believe that they're going to come out and be a very similar team week three to uh, the first two weeks of the season, is there something specifically Eagles want to do to uh, target that, to game plan around that, attack that? What do you think the Eagles do uh, at looking at the Dallas defense through two weeks? Well, I'm glad you brought that up, Jody, because I meant to bring that up, and I was gonna, uh, I was gonna make that comparison. I mean, what defense would you rather have, Dallas's or 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 the Eagles through two weeks? I mean, that, the Cowboys' defense doesn't scare anybody, and it certainly doesn't scare anybody without Demarcus Lawrence. Um, they've had a little bit of luck uh, turnover-wise early in the season. Um, look, I I want to see. Um, the Eagles take the training wheels off Jalen Hurts. I don't care if there's a couple turnovers. Uh, you know, hopefully you generate some on your own, but this is the type of team where you should be able to go up and down the field and, and you should be able to score points. And I've been saying that. I don't know if the Eagles are that type of team. I certainly know they don't want to be that type of team, but at some point in in the NFL today, you have to win a shootout. And I want to see, can they win a shootout? Um, right now, my my inclination is to say they probably can't. I'd like to see them try to prove that they can. And this would be a perfect week to do it because Dallas is obviously going to score some points, even against uh, a zone defense. They have too many playmakers. Um so you're going to have to score some points anyway. You might as well try to do it. Stop scheming up the quarterback so he doesn't turn over the football, which is great. He hasn't turned over the football. But you got to find out, is Jalen Hurts the answer? Let's find out. It starts this week, Monday night. We'll see next if it week. starts this week against the Cowboys. JM, thanks, brother. Uh, we'll get you back here tomorrow morning. Enjoy your test. Yeah, hopefully. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed for Johnny Mack. He's got to go get a, uh, a COVID test if he wants to travel with the team down to Dallas on uh, Monday night. Uh, we'll punch him up when he's down there in Dallas, too, but he'll be back here tomorrow. Jeff Curry is here with me today. Come back. I got that much more to uh, break down with Jeff on the Eagles and the Cowboys here on Birds 365. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go to get your spin on. Go to get your spa on. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub. And in your drink. Go for the steaks. And the steak. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. Glasses for cocktails, right? It's for this, 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 and that. Is the length of the glass equal to your... You betcha. But is it made out of... Glass? Okay, but is the rip... Smooth? Will you stop doing... That? I'm the professional here. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. All from the company that's highly awarded. Zero cars, zero sugar, and deliciously tasting vodka. So good, it just disappears.
when it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messon Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Thursday edition of Birds 365. Jeff Kerr in for John McMullen today. We just had Johnny Mac on. Uh, he's got COVID testing to do today, so uh, can't do the co-host thing. He did the guest thing. Speaking of guests, John Mashota, who joined us back during the summer, uh, I think maybe even before camp opened up or camp just uh, might have just opened up, uh, which means he might have been getting on a plane and going from the Lone Star State out to uh, Cali where the Cowboys train. He covers Dallas for the athletic. Uh, very good beat reporter uh, for uh, Cowboys coverage. He's going to hop on and talk some Cowboys with us the next hour here on Birds 365. All right, uh, Jeff, bunch of things I want to get into with you. Know that you're a bit of a Penn State wonk. Sorry, but the truth hurts. I am a uh, graduate. <laughs> Uh, that's why uh, that's why I'm going here. Uh, your boy Mackay has been solid the first two weeks of the season. Last week, with uh, the injuries they have at the defensive end position, they actually dropped them down and let him put his hand in the dirt. I love that expression, but there's no dirt left in the National Football League, uh, so maybe I need to come up with a new one. Um, but he has played well. Was a highlight guy on. Uh, the preview show on HBO before the season started, um, you knew he was going to be a key part of the Cowboys defense this year. Uh, no, you're a fan. And uh, I think even said here at one point that uh, the Eagles should have considered drafting him instead of Devontae Smith. If you didn't say that, correct me, please. But uh, how have you graded out his play so far through two games in the NFL? Oh, I did say um, if they injured Devonta Smith, that's who I would have picked. But uh, I, I digress. Um, but overall, I think he's been, at least in Sunday's game when I watched, he looked tremendous playing You know, a position he hasn't played really since high school. He, he kind of lined up some defensive end at Penn State. But one thing I loved about him was coming into the draft, and this is from watching him for you know two-plus years at Penn State. He played linebacker. He could play you know safety if they really wanted him to do that, um, you know, James, uh, James Franklin and Brett Pride, the defensive coordinator at Penn State, never really put him in that position, but he could do it. Definitely could line up on the edge. And, you know, uh, honestly, he does make that defense better. I mean, that defense is still not great, but 
they are better with him on it. And, you know, he made an impact game too. I mean, that whether you thought that that play that he got to Justin Herbert should have been a penalty on Herbert or, or a sack or whatever, whatever way they ruled it there, I, I'm still sketchy on that. He got to him. I mean, he he disrupted that. Right. It, it was going to be an incomplete pass. Exactly. It should have never been a sack because the ball yeah. was out well before uh, Parsons ever got him to the ground. So it was very poorly officiated. But it wasn't going to be a successful play. You got to give him at least his props because Herbert had to throw the ball away. Yeah, and that's all Michael Parsons. And look, I wouldn't be surprised if they lined him up on the edge this week. I know Lane Johnson is a much tougher assignment, but – the Chargers have a really good offensive line this year, too. And Michael Parsons had eight pressures. That's the most for a rookie in a couple of years. So, again, it's, you know, I think wherever you put him on the field, he's going to be a disruption. And, you know, you saw from Hard Knock Shady, this is a guy who just wants to play football. You know, th- this is his element right now. He, he gets to play pretty much every snap on defense. He's relied on. And I think he's the reason why this team gets a lot of turnovers. You know, he's not committing himself, but he's a guy you got to watch out for every single time. And here's the one problem I have with him dropping down and playing on the defensive line. They need him at linebacker. Now, a couple of years ago, Van Der Esch had a real good year, and he looked like he could be one of the up-and-coming linebackers in the NFL. He's really leveled off and had some injury issues. I loved what the Cowboys did the year they took Jalen Smith. Yay, dropped down in the draft, lower than people expected. They said, we'll take a chance at second round because we think he's a first-round talent. That was a good couple of years ago now. And Jalen Smith is not playing at the level that I thought he was going to be playing at. At one time, I thought the linebacker position was a major strength for the Dallas Cowboys. You take Michael Parsons out of that mix, it's a pedestrian group of linebackers I know you got to do what you got to do to make sure you get your best players on the field and they're going to use Parsons where they think he can do the most help, but can their linebacking core deal with uh, taking Parsons out of the mix there? Maybe Jalen Hurts actually can make a pass just over the linebackers because the linebackers aren't all that good in Dallas this week. What is taking Parsons out of that mix due to the Cowboy day? Well, I'll tell you what, Jody, this is a week I would bring back the bubble screens. I would bring back the short passes. If you're going to line up Michael Parsons on the edge, you want to do that, that's fine. Take him out of his element. Don't even let him get to Jalen Hurts. Just get off the quick passes, go to Jalen Rager, go to Quez Watkins, go to Devonta Smith, and just eat up these linebackers. Because, you know, everybody calls Jalen Smith a tackling machine. Well, Blake Martinez is a tackling machine, too. They're great for fantasy football. Guess what? They can't cover. They just can't cover. And Leighton Van Der Esch, I, I, you know, to me, he had a great rookie year, but I criticized him in his rookie year. I'm like, okay, can this guy cover? You know, he just – it seemed like people liked him because he had a neck roll on or something, and he was just always around the ball. Well, it, it turned out that you could beat him in the passing game, and the teams throw at him. And I think that's what the Eagles got to do this week. I think, the, you know, you have to find out if Jalen Hurts can throw a slant, can – Throw a quick out, which I, I think he can, but you got to test these guys. And you know, you just got to methodically move the chains. And then if Nick Sariani wants to get kill shot happy again, go for the kill shot against a, a secondary that's going to need it. But yeah, you got to find a way to take Micah Parsons out of this game. And I, I think that's where Brandon Staley, his second game as the head coach, didn't play in his favor. It just seemed like, you know, he was kind of letting Micah Parsons eat instead of just okay, this guy is just terrorizing the right side of my offensive line. 
how do we get him out of the game? Well, that's how you get him out, out of the game. Oh, he's in the game. Just do the quick pass and make sure he doesn't get to your quarterback. And John and I talked about this plenty on, on Monday and Tuesday. Uh, let me get your take on it as well. Uh, this, In addition to the Eagles, just you can judge after you look at a game plan and the spray chart of the passes that were thrown afterwards. You can do your evaluation uh, any way you want. The Eagles didn't throw the ball over the middle, and we can debate as to whether it was Jalen wasn't looking to throw it over the middle. They specifically put the middle options down on the read chart. Uh, the guys who were supposed to be in the middle didn't get open. Uh, you really need to watch the game film for hours to just come up with the actual reason that that didn't happen if they're not going to tell us, which they're not. I thought they underused the tight ends. And you've got two good pass-catching tight ends. To this point, I've really been disappointed by uh, what Zach Ertz has done because in camp this year, Ertz was a key contributor Looked great. Seemed like he had a good uh, relationship with uh, Jalen Hurts, and they were on the same page running and throwing. Um, but yet he has been a minimal factor in the first couple of games. Guider slightly more so, but not a, a ton either. And it wasn't like they were out there on the field, that the Eagles were in four wide receiver sets too often. No, they both uh, got a goodly amount of snaps on the field. They just didn't get the ball thrown their way. I don't think this is a good Cowboy team for covering tight ends. You mentioned Van Der Esch, not great at it. I know that uh, Javon Kirsch's nephew, ex-Eagle reference, um, leads the Cowboys in tackles, but he's not a great covering safety. Um, does this go back to the Eagles using their tight end more this week against this Cowboy uh, team in a matchup? I would, uh, you know, and I was upset last week. I thought 12 personnel was the way to beat the San Francisco 49ers, and these guys are on the field, but you weren't throwing them the ball. And I'm like, well, what are we doing here? I know Fred Werner's really good, but you know, one of these two can't get open. Did, did they really have to keep Goddard down there the block that much after Brandon Brooks was injured? So uh, I think you got to go to, especially Dallas Goddard. He loves playing the Cowboys. He always seems to have a big catch or a big game against them. And I would feed him and look, he matches up really well against Van Der Esch and Jalen Smith. So, I would go to him. I would go to Zach Ertz. I would do a lot of quick passes against this team. It's This is the week that I'll be concerned over Zach Ertz if he doesn't show up this week, Jerry. I'll, I'll just say that. And I think that's fair, even though uh, I predicted a big season once it was uh, became a foregone conclusion that he was staying. He made to go out and have a big season statistically because uh, he wants to get paid somewhere next year, be it here in Philadelphia or anywhere else for that matter. But if they don't throw him the ball, then he can't make big plays. Uh, on the other side of the ball for the uh, Dallas Cowboys, their pair of wide receivers, C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper, are certainly the best duo that the Eagles have uh, played so far this year. While we're singing the praises of Slay and Nelson for how well they've played so far this season, they got a little bit more of their work cut out for them this week with those two guys and Dak, Pre Dak Prescott being the guy throwing the football to them. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, CeeDee Lamb's a stud. He is an absolute stud on this team. And if I'm the Cowboys, I would do more of what they did last week to set up the pass. I would go heavy on Ezekiel Elliott, go heavy on Tony Pollard, and try to wear down this defense like San Francisco did last week. They have a playbook for wearing down the Eagles' defense now. Then you go – Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, and just try to get those points. And I think that's where the shootout comes in. But what if the Eagles are able to stop Ezekiel Elliott? What if they're able to stop Teddy Pollard? 
Then I think the Cowboys get past that. Here's the thing. The Cowboys are their own worst enemy, Jody. If they decide, you know what, we're going to show off how good Dak Prescott is and throw him 40, 50 times a game, then, yeah, he is going to put up gaudy numbers. And you know what? They're probably going to lose because they just decide that individual statistics sometimes in Dallas are more important than actually winning games. And last week was the formula. If Dallas can do what they did last week all year, they're going to win 11, 12 games. Here's the problem. They don't do that every week. And their coach still almost cost them a game. So, you know, I look, Ezekiel Elliott, I'm not Ezekiel, um, CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper, they really can torch this football team if Dallas sets it up right. But if Dallas is going to go to them all game, it's the Eagles are going to get theirs. And I, I think they'll actually get a couple turnovers. I mean, they'll get beat on a couple big plays too, but it's going to be a mutual relationship there. Here's where I'll give the Cowboys coaching staff some credit from last week's game. It was one of those days where Tony Pollard was the best running back on the team. And he does have it from time to time. There's a reason why Zeke uh, has more carries than him this year, because he's a had the better career. And uh, you know that he's going to give you something every single week. Sometimes Tony Pollard comes up with nothing. And other weeks, Tony Pollard's on the top of his game and he's uh, breaking off 20 plus yard runs. Uh, the Cowboy coaching staff realized last night that week that uh, Pollard was having one of his good games and they leaned on him heavily. Do you think there's any indicator early in a game that can tell you which way that's going to go? Is it going to be a Elliott's going to get it 20 plus times game or is it going to be a combination game or is it going to be a Pollard leads the charge game? Anything you've been able to pick up over the last couple of years that tells you uh, if the Cowboys make the decision on the fly as the game is going, which I think they did last week, which was the right way to handle it. Uh, any any indicators you uh, have been able to pick up on that tells you what kind of game it's going to be for the Cowboy running attack? I remember back when I played defensive line, we always, you know, obviously change of pace backs weren't a thing in high school football. But, you know, you always looked at how the offensive line was playing. And, you know, you they always went to the side where the strength was. Well, Tony Pollard had a lot of strength on the right side because Zach Martin was back. And Ezekiel Elliott's not Tony Pollard. He's not the guy who's going to cut the edge. Tony Pollard can cut the edge, and that's how he gets his yards. And Zach Martin was able to pull and really help him out. So I think that was part of the game plan. It was, okay, Zeke can't do this as efficiently as Tony Pollard can. So we'll give Tony Pollard the ball there, and then we'll sub Ezekiel Elliott across the middle. And look, Ezekiel Elliott, like everybody thought he had a bad game on Sunday. He had a lot of tough yards. He got a lot of tough first downs for that. And he had a touchdown. So, again, it's I think he earned his money on Sunday. I, I know he's not the 20, 25 carry back people want him to be, and they're going to ask him to do that at some point this season. But on Sunday, you didn't have to do that because, you know, Tony Pollard was breaking up big plays and he was stretching out the defense a little bit. And I, I think that that's honestly how the flow of the game is going. Like, if – Martin does the same thing he did last week and pulls and if Derek Barnett or Josh Sweat or Milton Williams or whoever can stop Pollard on the edge, then I think they go to Zeke more. That that that's how I think it Dallas determines it. I, I think it's more of okay, let's see what this guy's got before we do anything. And uh, I think what is evident every time the Cowboys and Eagles play, um, there is an added level of excitement before the game starts. And then when the game is being played, you just see more intensity on the field. The Eagles players get it. I give them credit for that. Uh, that's been the case. They don't get it as much as the fans do. 
because fans know the rivalry depending on how long you've been a fan. 30, 35, 40 years. There's no Eagle player even close to being that old, let alone understand how long the rivalry has been in place. But you would think that uh, it's going to be hammered home from them by the coaching staff this week if they do listen to the media at all, how big a game this is in the mind of the Eagles fans. One of the guys that I do know understood it was Brandon Graham. And he said he's going to be on the sidelines on Sunday, and he's certainly going to still assume the leadership duties that uh, he is uh, certainly taking care of over the, over the last decade here in town. But you just can't do it. It's not the same doing it as a guy standing on the sidelines as an injured player, as a warrior is out there on the field. Is that a concern? Should we be worried that the Eagles aren't going to be as pumped up as they should be, that they are going to miss uh, Derek's his contribution on the field for sure, but maybe even more so uh, his leadership role? Uh, how big a problem do you think this is with Brandon Graham not being in the lineup for the Eagles? I think it's going to be a problem, but this is why they have depth at defensive end. This is why they have depth on the defensive line. This is why you brought in Ryan Kerrigan. This is your insurance policy. Now Ryan Kerrigan gets to play a little bit more. This is why you signed Josh Sweat. You're going to find out if he can play, you know, all, all the – and obviously the Eagles feel that because they gave him a contract. You, you're you going to find out what you have in Derek Barnett all of a sudden. You're going to find out what you have in Milton Williams his rookie year. Um, Fletcher Cox, Siobhan Hargrave, I, I I think they make up for the leadership role. I, I mean, it, it seems like those two are silent leaders like Graham is, but they are leaders. Um, honestly, though, getting fired up for Dallas week, Nick Sirianni will probably have a lot to do with that. If I was Nick Sirianni, I'd be showing Wilbur Montgomery's run, and I'd be showing, you know, the Bounty Bowl. I'd be showing pretty much any clip you can, the fourth and one stop, 44 to six. Heck, I'd even show Tom Hutton's botch snap to show you how – upsetting it is to lose to a team like that. So, again, like I, I think the players will be fired up for this game. I still think Monday Night Football has that aura, that intrigue, especially with Eagles-Cowboys. It's the first time they've been on Monday Night Football since 2008. So, yeah, it, I mean, it's a big game, and I, I think the Eagles understand how big of a game it is. I, I'm not worried about that, but as far as Brandon Graham's leadership ability goes, yeah, you're right, Jody. It's just not the same as – being on the sideline there, that's where Fletcher Cox, Javon Hargrave, Darius Slay, these guys got to step up here. They're the veterans now. Agreed. And I know that uh, Brandon will give every bit of effort that he adds to being that kind of leader, but I just don't think it can be the same, even though uh, he, he thinks it can, and he will give it all of his effort to make it happen. I'm, I'm a little worried about that coming up for the game on Monday night. All right, when we come back, uh, we'll take a little bit of a stroll down memory lane. Yesterday, the NFL announced its 122 candidates for this year's Hall of Fame. Oh, that number's going to get cut down, and a whole bunch of Eagles are going to go by the wayside. But as many as 15 ex-Eagles are on that list of 122 Hall of Fame uh, nominees, Jeff Carr and I will uh, break some of that down for you next here on Birds 365. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go to get your spin on. Go to get your spa on. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub. And in your drink. Go for the steaks. And the steak. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. 
Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. Glasses for cocktails, right? It's for this, 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 and that. Is the length of the glass equal to your... You betcha. But is it made out of... Glass? Yo, okay, but is the rip... Smooth? Will you stop doing... That? I'm the professional here. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. All from the company that's highly awarded. Zero cars, zero sugar, and deliciously tasting vodka. So good, it just disappears. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messon Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Go for the midnight tears. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. For Johnny Mac today, Miss McMullen getting tested so he can head on down to Dallas to cover the Eagles and the Birds in Monday night football action. We'll continue to talk about the game coming up on Monday, including we're hoping to get John Machote on. He is the Cowboys beat writer for the Athletic. Uh, we're uh, scheduled to get John up in about oh, 25 minutes from now. Um, looking forward to it if we can get him on our stream. I mentioned before the break, Jeff, that the NFL announced yesterday. There are 122 nominees, not finalists. This is the first list that they come out with. Then they cut that down. Then they cut that down. Then they have the final voting. Um, Of the 122 that were on the list yesterday, 15 Eagles, which is a pretty big number. Uh, If you think about the National Football League at 30 teams, yes, some teams haven't been around as long. So it's not an equal displacement over the course of time. But still, any way you slice it, 12 out of uh, a 122 number is is pretty impressive. Now, there's a bunch of guys here that, and I don't want to be dismissive, but you have no chance of getting to the final vote. But, hey, it, making the 122 is something. It's an accomplishment to itself. Uh, but I want to get your take on some of these guys. 
I'll run them down real quickly for our listeners. This will bring up some good Eagle memories for uh, our Birds 365 fans. Uh, that Randall Cunningham guy, Donovan McNabb, I'm sure you've heard of him. Uh, Jeff Garcia, of course, is an ex-Eagle, a short-termer, but he won a big game and said Merry Christmas, everybody. Um, Herschel Walker, Brian Westbrook, Tom Wudashik, for you true old-timers. Eric Allen, Seth Joyner, Troy Vincent, Gary Anderson uh, was a kicker here for a goodly period of time and uh, was a pretty good percentage guy. Sean Landetta was a Philadelphia star and an Eagle and is an NFL uh, at least uh, 122 finalist. Uh, B. Mitch, Byron Mitchell, return guy, and a little bit of a running back. Alan Rossum and Takeo Spikes. The last couple of guys, I got to be honest with you, I'm surprised they even made the 122 cut down. Alan Rossum and Takeo Spikes. All right, Jeff Kerr, out of that group, which one do you think has the best chance to make the finalist list? And if they make the finalist list, is there any chance that any of these players actually get the nod and get in this year? You forget to mention my boy Ricky Waters, Jody. Oh, and Ricky Waters. My bad. I skipped over Ricky Waters. I think Randall should be in. You know, I'm getting tired of hearing Michael Vick was better than Randall Cunningham. I'm getting tired of hearing, you know, Michael Vick transcend. No, Randall Cunningham transcended the quarterback position. We we're really going to look at what Lamar Jackson and all these guys were doing. Randall was doing that 30. 30- Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Years before anybody was doing that, you know, he should have won MVP in 1990, won the Burt Bell Award. I mean, Randall really transcended the game. It's a shame Buddy Ryan just never cared about offensive line at all, and Rich Kotite for that matter. It's it, I always wondered with Randall with the Vikings in 98, if the Eagles would have given him receivers, an offensive line, anything. to you know, This guy won 10, 11 games without that. And I know they had a really good defense, but you give him an offense with that, I think Randall's already in. Just based on, he would have made, you know, championship games. He probably would have made a Super Bowl, maybe even two of them. I mean, he was just that talented of a football player. And I don't know. I never thought Randall Cunningham ever got his love. It's kind of like the whole, when they show Reggie White in clips, they always show him in a Packers uniform. It's like, well, wait a minute. The guy played for the Eagles for seven years. He had 124 sacks and 121 games. It's I, I, I think of that list. And look, I know time has not helped Donovan. Donovan was really good, too. But of that list, Randall Cunningham would definitely be the one. Uh, Troy Vincent's another one, too. Criminally underrated. He's not a Hall of Famer, but he was criminally underrated for a lot of years. He was on that list as well. The one guy who jumps out at me, I understand the argument for Randall. I've said many a time that I think Randall is a borderline Hall of Famer, which means you're not quite a Hall of Famer. Sorry, that's the oh, very good. Got a bunch of guys at the borderline. Another guy who's on the list, I'm sure, is going to be Boomer Esiason, who I think is a borderline Hall of Famer. I've told Boomer this to his face. Boomer, you're in the conversation. You deserve to be in the 122. 
they're going to bring your name up. They're going to debate you again. And unfortunately, you're not going to come up as a finalist and you're not going to get in. But he's a borderline Hall of Famer. There's a bunch of guys that are borderline Hall of Famer. I give you two more that are going to come up soon enough. And that's Eli Manning and Philip Rivers. I think they're both borderline Hall of Famers. Between you and I, I don't think either one of them are Hall of Famers. And the same with thing with Randall. If Randall gets in, I'm not going to come on here on Birds 365. Well, number one, I'm not an idiot, and I know how many Eagle fans I'm talking to, but if I were just doing an unbiased show on CBS Sports Radio or uh, WFAN, WIP, I'd be a little afraid to badmouth them too. But I, I give you my honest opinion because I always do. I would make the case for him not to be a Hall of Famer because that's my job, and I have to be honest when I'm on the air. Same thing when I'm on in New York when I talk about Eli Manning. I know he won two Super Bowls. I get it. And in both of those years when he, the, the Giants made their run, he got the MVP in the Super Bowl. One year, he certainly deserved it. The other year, the defense won the Super Bowl, and the ball just kind of stuck to a helmet, which he doesn't get any credit for. It was an okay pass at best that just happened to stick. Um, so I, I Eli Manning had a bunch of mediocre years. Donovan McNabb had more years. If you're just breaking down year by year by year, Donovan McNabb had more success than Eli Manning. The Eagles were good more often during Donovan McNabb's reign than Eli Manning's reign with New York. So uh, I, I understand. if Eli gets in, if Manning gets in, none of them are so bad that I would say, what the hell is the Hall of Fame thinking? I'd say, okay, we wouldn't get my vote, but if they're in, good enough. More power to them. Congratulations. The guy on the list that I just read, skipping over Ricky Waters, thank you for correcting me, my bad. Uh, and by the way, Ricky, Ricky Waters, borderline Hall of Famer. Yeah. Not a Hall of Famer. He doesn't get in on my watch by the way I would vote for Hall of Fame, but he certainly deserves to be on this 122 and maybe even uh, after the cutdown. The guy who should be in for my money is Eric Allen. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I always seem to forget about him because I always think he's in and he's not. Eric Allen is a Hall of Famer, and I'm disappointed that he hasn't gotten into this point. He continues to make the cut down and even the final cut down, and he's actually made some advances. We've talked to Paul Domowicz about this, who's got the Philadelphia vote. Um, he, he has improved his status, if there is a status to be improved in the vote, as he gets further from year to year to year. And there's always a turnover of the guys who vote. So you need to continue to make the argument if you're Paul Dom, which, which he does have faith in Domo in that. Uh, he was a, we use this phrase too often, shut down corner with the rules the way they are in the National Football League anymore, Jeff Kerr. There really is no such thing as a shutdown corner. But during Eric Allen's time, you had a better chance to be able to cover uh, the wide receivers in the National Football League. The flags weren't flying as much as they are today. You were allowed to uh, hand fight a little bit more. He was a shutdown corner in an era where everyone believed that Deion Sanders was a shutdown corner. I thought Eric Allen was just slightly behind Deion Sanders in ability to cover in the NFL, which is what cornerback's all about. I hope this is the year Eric Allen gets his just desserts. I don't know why Eric Allen always gets overlooked. I don't know if it's the Dion thing or not, because he was toe-to-toe -to -toe with Dion for a number of years. He just didn't play in Super Bowls. When he finally got to play in the Super Bowl, he was, what, 37 at that point? You know, he was toward the end of his career. I mean, you know, it. it I guess his three years with the Saints and him being mediocre there, signing that big free agent contract didn't help. And he resurrected his career in Oakland, but 
Yeah, I, I just don't understand why guys like Eric Allen get over. Seth Joyer's another one. Why is he always get overlooked? He's still the only player in NFL history that uh, only linebacker to have what I think it's like fifty sacks and twenty career interceptions, something like that. You know, it's Takeo Spikes is on this list. Like, come on, we couldn't put Willie T on this list. I think it's better than Takeo Spikes. I mean, why don't we just put Andy Harmon on? We're gonna do this. Like, I, come on, it's I don't understand some some of their criteria, uh, honestly, but. Definitely Eric Allen. He's the one who's gotten such a shaft over the years, and I always forget about him because I always think he's in. I'm sure a lot of other people think he's in because he was that good when he played, but, you know, he even gets slayed by Mitchell and Ness. Do you ever see any Eric Allen throwback jerseys rocking anywhere? No, you always see Jerome Brown. You always see Reggie White. You always see Zeb Joyner. You may, you may even seen uh, Andre Wars or Wes Hopkins, but you never see Eric Allen. He's almost like the forgotten man in a really, really – good defense and I, I think the narrative completely changes if that Eagles defense, you know, probably would have played a title game or would have went to a Super Bowl or something like that. But yeah, it's he just gets overlooked. And I don't get it because he played for the Eagles, he played for the Raiders. But maybe I guess those three years with the Saints really turn off some people. I don't know. You and I uh, see Eric Allen exactly the same only Oh, I, it sticks in my cross. So I always do remember that Eric Allen isn't in, and I make the argument for him on the air somewhere. And here is the chance to do so on YouTube. First time uh, YouTube uh, platform is uh, yours truly to be able to sing Eric Allen's praises. Uh, I know he's not in, and I hope this is the year that he does get in. But uh, thank you very much. I hadn't thought about that. You threw out a name that I hadn't thought about in a while. I have one section of my closet upstairs that's got jerseys in it. And I put them all on hangers, which some people might put them in drawers. I put them on hangers. Maybe it's a, <laughs> you put them on hangers, you put them yeah, in drawers. I yeah, I yeah. do. There's, there's a little section of my closet where I've got a bunch of jerseys. At least 12. I would think I got about a dozen of them. And one of them is, I remember we did a show from uh, a sporting goods store when I was full-time on WIP. And they just gave me an Eagles jersey. They didn't ask me what Eagle jersey I wanted. The manager kind of sized me up and knew what jersey to give me and just said, yeah, this is uh, come from us here. At, and I don't want to mention the store, so I won't. Uh, but they just gave me a jersey. And they gave me an Andy Harmon jersey. About that. And at the time, Andy Harmon was a good player, a contributing player, a very solid player for the Philadelphia Eagles it was post the Reggie White, Seth Joyner type days, so those jerseys would have been old school jerseys and like the Eagle team at the time. Andy Harmon was one of their better plays. It wasn't like they gave me some Scorbini jersey, but it wasn't the guy who was going to fall on this list one day of 122. And I'm with you. Takeo Spikes, really? Uh, I know he was better elsewhere than he was here in Philadelphia, but... Was he really that good anywhere else to be in the 122 list in the Hall of Fame? I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, I still have that Andy Her uh, Andy Harmon jersey that I break out, oh, once every two or three years just for the sake of it because I feel bad and sang in there in the closet. I'm not going to throw it away or give it away, so you got to put it on every once in a while. But I wonder what it would be like if I went down to an Eagle game and I wore it. Would I be the only one 
with a, the Andy Harmon jersey on in the stands that day? Because you get people who just like their jerseys and stay attached to their jerseys, and the Eagles win a big game while they're in that jersey, so they believe that it's the good luck jersey, so they stick with it. Would I be the only one in an Andy Harmon jersey next time the Eagles play at home? I think if you walk by Lot K, Lot F, wherever you want to walk, Jody, I think you would get the true Eagles fans yelling, Andy, at you. Because that, that's just how Eagles fans are. You know, I have an Irving Fire jersey. The first year they, they got the Midnight Green. The Reverend. Reverend Irv. Yeah, I, I wore it one time. And I think it was like in 2000, 2001. I got a bunch of Irving chants. And so he goes, you know, he's all in Washington now. And I'm like, yeah, I'm well aware. It's, you know, it's I still like the guy. It's But yeah, remember the first year they had the, the Midnight Green jerseys? I got a road jersey. Remember they had like the, the green like stripe? It was like the, they only did it one year. Then they got rid of it. They had like a green stripe on the end. Oh, and then no. they had like a black. Yeah, like that's how it looked. And because when did the Eagles wear that? I'm like the first year they have. And then they they went to like their current template, I guess. But yeah. So, green stripe? Why do I not remember that? Yeah. Like if you watch like an old Eagles game, like from that year, and you see Rodney Pete, like because he let it out. A lot of guys like rolled it up. He let it out. And I'm like, whoa, this is like different. Then they had like the, the Midnight Green Eagle, like on the pants, they had. The white pants didn't have the logo, but the green pants did. And then they, like, ditched it. It's really – it's almost like they couldn't figure out, like, what they wanted to do with these uniforms. But mm. I digress. So yeah, I, was- I remember when they made the move to Midnight Green. Uh, unhappy about it. I'm a Kelly Green guy, but we don't want to get off on that tangent because we could <laughs> do that for 45 minutes and finish up the show talking about that. Um, I didn't have a problem with I just – because I was so pro-Kelly Green, I didn't like it because it wasn't Kelly green, but in actuality, I said, you know, it doesn't look that bad, uh, but I don't remember a green stripe. And you say it lasted just one year and then they moved on from it. Yeah. It lasted just one year. And it was like, it, it's a really weird combination. Like I found a photo when they announced the midnight green uniforms. And I think it's Harmon. It's, it's Andy Harmon and it might be Willie T. And I think Harmon's wearing the white jersey. And oh, which, by the way, that's what mine is. I told you I got an Andy Harmon jersey. Mine is a white one. It's not a uh, green one at all. They gave me a, a white Andy Harmon. By the way, we got to get on this tangent here since you brought up Kelly Green. The 49ers went back to their old colors. Everybody else is going back. When's this franchise going back? Like, we all want Kelly Green. I'm, everybody goes, oh, they won the Super Bowl in Midnight Green. I'm like, well, if you really want to go to that route, well, they won three championships in Kelly Green. Oh, by the way, Kelly Green just looks better. It just does. It's, you know... I, I digress, but yeah, if you want to go back to the old Jersey thing, I'll I'll rock the Irving Fryer sometimes. I'll rock a Ricky Waters. I'll rock Donovan. I, my first jersey is Randall Cunningham. That don't fit me anymore, but Irving Fryer, it, it's small, but it still fits, especially on the hot day. So I, I got to rock and say, hey, look, this is how long I've been an Eagles fan. Good, I, good, good for you, Jeff Kerr. All right, uh, we're hoping to get John Michaud up here in the next 10 minutes or so. Uh, before we do, Eagles-Cowboys, divisional matchup. Coming down on Monday night, we've already had one intra-division game. That was the Washington football team and Giants last week, where the Giants coughed one up, had the chance to win it, jump off sides on the last play of the game. Ooh, untimed down. Let's give their field goal kicker another shot. And, of course, he boots it through. So Washington is 1-1. One and one. The Giants are 0-2-1. Oh, and one. And the matchup between the Cowboys and the Eagles is two 1-1 one one teams, each of them getting one win one loss in their uh, first two games. I'm interested to see. You already put your power rankings out for the NFC East. 
three one and ones, one zero oh and two. I know you're feeling on the Giants, so I can, without having seen it, I can say with pretty damn sure confidence. I know you have ranked fourth in the NFCs, but I'm very interested to see how you parsed out the first three. What are your divisional power rankings look like right now in the NFC East? So well, what I do is I rank each division by division, and then I kind of do it like a rundown. But if I had to rank all four right now, I would probably give Dallas number one just because I thought that was a big win in L.A. And they did play Tampa tough. So I got to give them their credit where it's due. But the Eagles played San Francisco tough too. And I still have them a little bit ahead of Washington right now. Look, Giants stick. They, they should have probably ended up beating Washington. Daniel Jones probably – played one of the best games of his career, and they still lost. So, yeah, if I had to rank these four, it, it's definitely Dallas 1, Eagles 2, Washington 3, Giants 4 for now. And, look, Washington's got a tough game against Buffalo this week. I don't think they can win that game, especially the way their defense has been playing. I think Buffalo's really good. So I don't think they'll – but whoever wins this Dallas-Philadelphia game, they're going to have control of this division regardless. But, yeah, if I had to rank them going in, it's definitely Dallas 1. I, I just thought they had a really good win – Against a, a good Chargers team who, they might finish 8-9, and 9-8 nine, nine and eight and last in that NFC West, I, AFC West. I mean, the West is really good football this year. I'm going to tell people to start watching some more 4 o'clock games because those teams out West, they're all loaded. No, I, I don't think we did it here on Birds 365, but I did it elsewhere. And if I get this one right, I uh, would even surprise myself, but I laid it out the way I thought it needed to be laid out. NFC playoff teams this year. I have all three NFC West teams making the wild card. All four NFC West teams in the playoffs, the divisional winner, and all three wild cards coming from that division. That's how strongly I thought that division would be before the season started. And, oh, by the way, Seattle let one slip last week against Tennessee. Otherwise, they would all be 2-0, and as a matter of fact. So you got three 2-0s and one 1-1 one one in Seattle. Um, you don't have to twist my arm to say, hey, check out the NFC West. Uh, I, I kind of believe that they were going to be that good uh, before the season ever started. And luckily for the Eagles, they don't have to play the NFC West. They just got one NFC West game on their sked this year. But this sked is Dallas Cowboys next. And it is got a little added importance because – after they play this game, they don't play in division again for months. Five of their last six games are the NFC East. So they talk about backloading a schedule. The divisional load is all in the months of December and January. So you want to get that one, only one divisional game you're going to be playing in the first couple of the months of the season. You want to get that in the WCOM. We'll continue to talk about if the Eagles can do that. We hope to talk about it with John Machota. He covers the Dallas Cowboys for the Athletic down in Big D. He's scheduled to join us. Stay tuned. See if he's up next here on Birds 365. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go to get your spin on. Go to get your spa on. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub. And in your drink. Go for the steaks. And the steak. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. Glasses for cocktails, right? It's for this. 
this, this, and that. Is the length of the glass equal to your- You betcha. But is it made out of- Glass? Yo, okay, but is the rip- Smooth? Will you stop doing- That? I'm the professional here. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. All from the company that's highly awarded. Zero cars, zero sugar, and deliciously tasting vodka. So good, it just disappears. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Mesa & Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. On the field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resorts. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. We are the Birds 365 duo today. He would be our buddy uh, Jeff Kerr filling in for uh, John McMullen. JM getting his COVID test so he can go down to Dallas and cover the game on Monday. So Jeff jumps in for him whenever uh, we need his insight for the upcoming Eagles game against the Cowboys. And that's uh, big because it is a divisional matchup. Let's talk about the matchup of the coaches. Um, you've got an established coach on the Cowboys sideline, who's got a Super Bowl under his belt. But Mike McCarthy hasn't wowed anybody since he got the big D with last year and his first couple of weeks this year. And we know the Eagles are uh, under a coach in his third NFL game as a head coach. And I happen to be a fan, although some of the things he said Monday after the game did disappoint me a little bit. Is there an advantage in the coaching matchups here, Jeff Kerr? Not with Mike McCarthy, there isn't. <laughs> I, I am probably the biggest Mike McCarthy hater on the planet. I've hated what he's done to Aaron Rodgers, even though Aaron Rodgers does have a Super Bowl. He's supposed to be an offensive guru. And look, he is to an extent, but I, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like the guy benefits from Aaron Rodgers and now Dak Prescott. And he makes Dak Prescott the NFL's lean passer. That That's all well and good, but. Dallas should probably be 0 2 because of him. It's, you know, he's lucky he has Greg the Leg as his kicker to make a 56 yard field goal. And I, I even said to the guys in the CBS Slack room, I said, watch 
Zerline bail him out of this ridiculous, ridiculous move. And he tries to say, you know, oh, the the clock was malfunctioned wherever the clock is. That's fine, Mike. I'm, you know, whatever. It's, you mean no one else in your, in the coaching box? Jerry Jones couldn't even tell you? Like, I, I, I don't know. It's I'm not a Mike McCarthy fan. I, I'm just not. So I think it's it might be even. And Mike McCarthy does have a tendency to kind of get out coached by these younger first year head coaches. And, you know, it's Brandon Staley did it on Sunday, but Nick Sirianni might be ready for him. So uh, I'm curious. Uh, honestly, if Mike McCarthy does well this year, I think it's more because of Dan Quinn than him. Well, but uh, the defense hasn't exactly wowed anybody the first oh. couple of weeks for the Cowboys uh, against either the Bucks and or uh, the Chargers. Uh, they, they didn't play badly against the Chargers, uh, and they have been getting turnovers, so you give Quinn at least uh, that much. It's funny because I was a McCarthy fan when he was the coach of the Packers. I thought he did a nice job, and I didn't quite understand why his relationship soured with Aaron Rodgers if I had to – uh, judging it from afar, I take a guess, I probably would have blamed Rodgers more because I think we found out over the last couple of years, Aaron Rodgers can be, let's see if I can be nice, quirky. Um, pain in the butt. Pain in the, yeah, there's a lot of ways you can describe Aaron Rodgers, one of which is prolific when it comes to passing, but I'm talking about his personality and his coachability. I, I think he's work. I think he's got a little diva in him. So uh, I, I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll cut uh, the coach from Slack because uh, maybe just Rogers is a difficult guy to uh, try and coach. Yeah, I didn't like his first year in Dallas. I thought he did a pretty poor job, and we'll see what kind of a year he has. Uh, I thought it was good hire when the Cowboys did it uh, to be determined uh, because, yeah, this is – but I'll give Jerry this much. As impetuous as Jerry is, and he is, and he will talk to any microphone that pops in front of his face – uh, if you are a cowboy media guy, and I'm a little bummed that we haven't been able to run down John Mishota just yet, uh, you got to love a uh, owner like Jerry Jones because he's as quotable as he is. And he just, I think, enjoys the joust going back and forth between the media and the like. So in that way, I think it's very difficult to be a coach under Jerry Jones because your owner is always talking about what the team needs to do, what the team needs to do better, basically throwing coaches under the bus, which Jerry is apt to do and has done before. But he also isn't quick to pull the trigger and fire his coaches. They're uh, coach after coach after coach. And Jimmy Johnson and I go, oh, he's going to fire this guy. Well, not yet. He's going to fire him now. Well, not yet. All right. He finally fired him. And he hires the next guy. And he gives him a lot of rope uh, before he actually does pull the the trigger on him. Um, So I don't even know that if uh, he doesn't win this year that uh, McCarthy's on the hot seat. Uh, what's your read in Dallas going forward? Uh, they've got every right to believe they're going to win the division this year. Um, how much pressure do you think there is on the head coach of the Cowboys right now? Well, I'll tell you what. I think they're if Dallas is 0-2 right now, I think there would be a serious, serious talk about Mike McCarthy's future in Big D. But overall, I'm looking at it as I, I think McCarthy's going to get at least three years with this deal. I mean, he gave, he gave Dave Campo three years. so That's what I mean. He, he does. And, and how many years – uh, prior to uh, McCarthy coming in, how many years did you think uh, previously that Jason Garrett was on the hot seat? About four? It was about four years in a row where I said, well, this could be the year. Well, this could be the year. I don't know if Jason Garrett can uh, make a pass this year. 
and he just kept sticking with him and sticking with him and sticking with him. So I got to give Jones that much credit. He is not an overreactive owner when it comes to the status of the head coach. That's one thing I actually kind of like about Jerry Jones. Because honestly, if you look at 2011, they lost the last game of the year to the Giants, missed the playoffs. 2012, lost to Washington, missed the playoffs. 2013, lost to Philadelphia. Week 17, missed the playoffs. I'm like, okay, like, are you going to fire Jason Garrett now? No, he was a full believer in him. And I kind of respected that out, Jerry Jones. Now, it, it didn't help the Cowboys on turn, but it seemed like, and you know, I, I would love to ask Tony Romo this, like how I, I, we never really talk about like his time in Dallas, but I, I would love to ask him one question. Like, you know, did Jerry Jones, like, does he just have like that, just that much faith in like your era or like Jason Garrett coaching you? Because it just seemed like Jason Garrett should have been fired so many times. I think, Jerry Jones always took that as well. You know, this guy did, has led us to 12, 13 wins before. And no, we don't have the playoff success, but he's done this. And honestly, Jody, the best hire Jerry Jones has made outside Jimmy Johnson was Bill Parcells. I thought Bill Parcells was a great coach there. And they just didn't get along. And Bill left and hired Bum. I, I always call him Bum, Phil. It's because it, it's Wade, Phil. But I, I still call him a Bum because he is a Bum. And yeah, he was bum as a head coach. Hell of a defense yeah, coordinator. Yeah, Tremendous thing. If any time you ever need to make the argument about when someone's hiring a very good uh, coordinator and giving them a, a job as a head coach, he's the guy you point to. He was great as a coordinator, but it doesn't mean he's going to be a head coach here in North Tournament. There's a couple of Cowboys guys <laughs> who I think of. Yeah, but Wade Phelps, I mean, he was a heck of a coordinator. I mean, I got to give him his props there. But head coach, that team went 13-3. and I, I'll never forget this. 2007, when the Eagles beat them, when, you know, they were 5-8, and eight, they were out. I'm like, Andy Reid and Jim Johnson figured out how to beat this team. And then literally when they played the Giants in the playoff game, Spagnuolo used Johnson's exact defense. Word for word, play for play. And it beat them. And Tony Romo's admitted as such. And I'm like, okay, like, you know, we Phillips couldn't adjust to that. Like, they were that much better than the Giants that year. And I, I kept saying to myself, both Parcells is a head coach. That team will have went to the Super Bowl. I have no doubt about that, that 2007 Cowboys team. But, yeah, overall, it's – Jerry is loyal to a fault with a lot of these guys. I mean, he probably should fire Wade Phillips after the – Debacle in 2008 when they lost 44 6 and he didn't. He kept him around the middle of 2010. It's, you know, he, I do like that about Jerry Jones. He's loyal. Like, if guys struggle, he's not panicking. Like, Ezekiel Elliott, he's not going to panic. He signed this guy. This is his guy. It, it's like that with all his players. I, I, that is one thing I respect about Jerry Jones. He has a lot of faith in his football team, and I got to give him credit for that. You mentioned, uh, what were we talking about? Oh, Eric Allen earlier that maybe. His post Eagles career actually cut back on his chances to be all of him because he wasn't as good toward the tail end of his career, which you might be onto something that, that that might be fair. Oh, I'll say that about the guy that you just mentioned, Bill Parcells. There was the Giants, Bill Parcells. Then there was the Patriots, Bill Parcells, who wasn't as good as the Giants, Bill Parcells, but still went back to the Super Bowl. So you got to give him credit. Then there was the Jets, Bill Parcells, who actually went to an AFC championship game with a team that wasn't all that great. 
Jet fans will like to tell you they were great. I don't. I didn't. Think I don't that. think that team was that good. <laughs> yeah, neither neither did I. And I can be a harsh critic because I've been a Jet fan my whole life. Um, but I give Parcells credit for that one. But again, didn't get to the Super Bowl like he did with the Patriots and the Giants, so not as good. Then there was the Cowboys, Bill Parcells, which was a drop off from the Jets, which was a drop off from the Patriots, which was a big drop off from the Giants. The only thing that saves the Cowboys' Bill Parcells' time is the fact that he went to Miami and did even less as an executive. So you want to talk about a guy whose career, no peaks and valleys. It start well, if you want to start with his Giants, his Giants start with here, and then he went like this. And then he just continued to come down and down and down and down. And the Cowboys were certainly on the downward slide. Uh, no, the Cowboys haven't had a good coach, a really good coach, since Jerry and Jimmy decided to get divorced 20 some odd years ago now. Yeah. And by the way, Jerry, I kind of want to ask you this too with the Cowboys. When did you think the peak Eagles Cowboys rivalry was? That's a good question. Yeah, was it, was it Rhodes like versus Switzer? Like, I feel like every game there was closer, had like some drama in it. I mean, Reed kind of dominated them. Vermeil. I mean, it's, Certainly the AFC championship game is the highlight ever of the Eagles-Cowboys rivalry. Um, they've only matched up. I looked this up this morning. Thank you for reminding me of that. Um, they played four times in the playoffs, and the Cowboys have won three. The only win the Eagles ever have against the Cowboys was 1980. The first time the two teams matched up in the playoffs, the last three times has gone Dallas's way, as a matter of fact. Uh, I wasn't here in Philadelphia. I don't, were you even born in 1980? How? Oh no, no, no! I was born in '88. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, no, I was I was uh, alive in 1980, but I wasn't living here in Philadelphia yet. Um, so uh, that probably, and uh, this would be a great thing if uh, we did interact, and if anybody wants to put their answers up on the stream here. Um, Buddy Ryan, first against uh, the interim, uh, the tail end of Landry into Jimmy Johnson. I would just say from a angst perspective, from a emotions riled perspective, because Buddy Ryan did that for you, that probably is as good a run the Buddy Ryan era. Now they had some results and made the playoffs. And like I said, lost in the playoffs thereafter to the Cowboys, but at least got into the playoffs against the Cowboys. I would say the Buddy Ryan era is probably the highlight years from a get pumped up, get jacked up about the matchup between the Cowboys and Eagles. Just And that was right when you're truly started in town. I didn't uh, do the entire Buddy Ryan Aries last year. It was my first year here in town, but certainly uh, knew of the rivalry before I did come here to uh, Philadelphia when I was in my young 20s in college. Uh, That would be the time that I think the fans got most pumped up about Eagles versus Cowboys. Yeah, I mean, for me, maybe this is just me growing up because, you know, the the first Eagles teams I remember are like Cotite and Rhodes and all that. And I just remember every game with the Cowboys was like the Eagles were the truly the ultimate underdogs because Cowboys were at the height of their powers at that point. And, you know, then beating them on fourth and one, and that was the year they won the Super Bowl. But still, you know, you actually felt like they could win a playoff game based on will. And then 
<laughs> the game started. I'm like, oh god, like this is. I remember being seven years old. I'm like, wow, this is bad. <laughs> like it's. I don't think they beat this team a month ago, but. Then, you know, they upset them in 96 in, in Dallas. And, you know, after Dallas kicked the crap out of them on Monday Night Football, I definitely remember that game. That, that, that was horrible. But, yeah, and then, you know, the whole 97 Tom Hutton thing, it's, you know, even Andy Reid in his early years, like, they had no business beating that team in the Michael Irvin game. And Doug Peterson throws a touchdown pass. And I still remember this. Like, it was just – I think it was – I always claim this was my first viral tweet. I'm like, real Eagles fans know what Doug Peterson means to this city. And I did the touchdown pass to Charles. They're like, oh, yeah, that's right. He did that. I'm like, yeah, no kidding. He did that. Like, that's my Doug Peterson memory for getting Eagles head coach. So, yeah, it's definitely – maybe that was just me as a kid and being nostalgic. But, you know, I was the biggest real Cunningham fan in the world. It made me sick when I saw him start against the Eagles in a Cowboys uniform, Jody. I don't know about yourself. Um, as a matter of fact – I, I told this story on the air before. I don't know it was here on Birds 365. Uh, one year I was down in Dallas covering the winter meetings on the baseball side. They were having them in Arlington. Um, and it was Thursday through Monday, whatever, somewhere thereabouts. And uh, people were flying out on Sunday afterwards. A nasty snow and ice storm hit the Dallas region, which they don't know how to deal with snow and ice down in Dallas. There's a reason why anytime that that hits, it just makes it, you can't get out of town. Um, so we had Sunday and a whole bunch of people didn't uh, check out at a hotel because they were all planning on checking out on Sunday afternoon or Sunday night. A whole bunch of people stuck around, us included. Now, we were staying anyway because we were going to do our show the next day from the hotel on Monday and then fly out on Monday and be back uh, to do our regular shows uh, starting on Tuesday. So we weren't leaving anyway, uh, but there were a whole bunch of people that stuck around. So we were debating, what do we do on this Sunday? Because we thought everybody was going to leave. I said, let's sit in a bar and watch the games. Someone mentioned that there was a guy in the hotel that was offering Cowboys tickets for below face value, that he had them and nobody wanted them. And it was Eagles, uh, excuse me, Cowboys, uh, Redskins, and neither one of the two teams were making the playoffs that year. It was uh, late, in, it was in December. They already uh, were outside of the playoffs looking in. And the starting quarterback matchup was Randall Cunningham for the Cowboys against Jeff George oh, with well, the Redskins. Well, nostalgic rivalry there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, not your usual Cowboys, Redskins. Roger Staubach against Billy Kilmer, ain't they, however far back you go. Um, two guys who were much more well-known for playing quarterback for someone else other than their teams that day. But I've, again, told this story on the air before. Jeff George, in that game, threw one of the greatest passes I had ever seen in my entire life up until that point, and now this is 30 years later, uh, still today, I'm wowed by the ball that he threw. He uh, got flushed out of the pocket going right. He was a solid 15 yards behind the line of scrimmage. He was just about to get uh, pushed out of bounds for a 15-yard loss. And he came to a dead stop. He tried to come to a dead stop because he was getting pretty fast, uh, going pretty fast just to get the hell out of bounds. And he kind of leaned back to avoid the defender. So he's not even stepping into the throw. He's throwing it as he's leaning. 
He threw it back across the field to a receiver who was going in the opposite direction and led him, not a stop route, a lead route going the wrong way as he's sprinting right against the sidelines and almost the entire width of the field, 30 yards down the field. Now, he's 15 yards behind, and he's throwing a lead pass across the field 25 to 30 yards down the field. And damn if he didn't hit the guy right in the numbers. And it was one of the most perfect passes I've ever It's the guttiest pass I've ever seen in the history. How does that not get picked off? And he hit the guy dead in the numbers in stride. And the Dallas defense was nowhere to be found. He turned up the field 50 yards, 60 yards, touchdown, whatever it was. It was the most impressive, just pure athletic arm strength throw I've ever seen in my entire life. And I wasn't surprised because it was Jeff George, because I had always thought he had one of the greatest arms I've ever seen in the National Football League. Yeah, you know, Jeff George really, it's weird. Like, during his career, it was like he was a bust because he was number one pick. I'm like, I'll tell you what, you got picked by the Colts in the early 90s. I swear you were a bust. Yeah, it, it just, they couldn't get anything right. But yeah, over time, it's like I've come to appreciate Jeff George a little more than just kind of making fun of him for his career with the Falcons and his career with the Colts and. Washington, um, even I think Minnesota, he did pretty decent in, but it, it, overall, it's I don't know how you would put up with that game, Jody. I I really don't. It's I still gotta call a couple of my Cowboys friends up because I have to do the joke every year. I keep an old VHS player, and I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna go dust off the VHS player this week and watch Super Bowl Thirty highlights because I can't download them on DVD. You know, it's it's one of the you know, they always give me a cheap shot about the Eagles. Not not recently, obviously, because the Eagles have recently won a Super Bowl. But they're kind of enjoying how they stick now. And I'm like, eh, well, whatever, you know. I'm like, I'll just dust out the old VHS player to watch old memories when I was six, seven years old of the Cowboys beating the Eagles. And, you know, that that's what I'll – you know, if they want to come join me, well, go ahead. It may not even work anymore. So it's, <laughs> it's one of those – I don't know. It's To me, it's – I have more fun making fun of the Cowboys that like, you know, growing up an Eagles fan than I kind of do with the Giants. Like I'll I dislike the Giants a lot more than I dislike the Cowboys, but maybe that's the rivalry thing. I know a lot more Giants fans, but overall, like when people ask me, like, what's one team like you you just can't stand their fan base? And I just go, you know what? I'm like covering the league, it's definitely a different perspective, but I do get a lot of hate from Cowboys fans on here because like they automatically think, oh, Eagles, you hate us. I'm like I actually kind of not as much as you think. I'll say that. <laughs> Fair enough. And the, the, it's an age-old debate as to which is the actual. And I think it ebbs and flows. Some people think it's since the 1980 championship game, it's the unquestioned Cowboys. And there is no arguing that it, it will be locked in like that for the next 100 years. I don't believe that. I think it does change from time to time and i don't think it's wrong to some people say, no your your rivalry is your rivalry and it shall never change oh it can if one team isn't good enough isn't competitive enough for a long enough ter- period of time it can and i think the, the giants have snuck their nose in there every once in a while for a short period of time uh but eventually it does go back to the cowboys uh but it just hasn't been as good a rivalry over the last several years mainly because the Eagles have been the better team. They've been making the playoffs. The Cowboys, if they made it, they got lucky to make it and or uh, didn't advance when they got there. Yes, the Eagle fans can point back to the success of just a couple of years and the parade they had here. It's been a long time, but 
three drinks of water for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Jerry Jones, when he did uh, split up with Jimmy Johnson, I'm sure he did not believe there was any way that he was going to go this long a period of time without getting back to a Super Bowl. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of the teams that haven't made an NFC Championship game since the Cowboys won the Super Bowl. The Cowboys are one, but it's like the Texans who started in 2002, the Bengals and the Lions, and Washington. That might be it. It's like I, I you know, someone please correct me here if, but I think that's it. Of among like they couldn't even get like really good one year. It's. I think, you know, there's a whole generation of Eagles fans that, especially the ones who are clout chasers on social media, that it's not as big of a rivalry as it once was. It it just is. I, I just remember growing up, I, you just did not like Dallas. They won all the time. And they had Troy, Evan Smith killed them. I mean, he has the rushing yards record at the vet. It's, you know, Michael Irvin. It's, you know, the whole team, the whole team was good. And then you had to listen to them. In their post-playing careers, it's like, you know, Eagles fans didn't like Tony Romo, but I, I don't think it's, it was like a divine hatred of the guy. I just think it was more they hyped him up so much, and, you know, McNabb was good, and Vic was good, and Nick Foles was good, and you're just like, okay, you know, it, it's just over Dallas Cowboys hype. But I think there's a more hatred of the Giants because the Giants actually have success in a lot of these players' lifetimes and, and you know, fans' lifetimes, and, you know, Andy Reid, he was good all those years and couldn't win. And Tom Coughlin, who I think Andy Reid can run circles around as a head coach, has two of them. It's it's frustrating. And you mentioned Emmett Smith. I was in the link on the fourth and one stop twice. Usually you don't have to stop a guy twice on fourth and one. The Eagles did. And it was one of the two times that I've been in uh, the vet. Where And I know people say this all the time, and you think that it's hyperbole. In this case, it's not. You'll probably say that about me afterwards, but I'm telling you, it's not. I actually felt my feet shaking underneath me. When they got the second, fourth, and one, and I was on the first level at the time, in seats as a fan, not as a member of the media, had seats that day to watch the Eagles and the Cowboys, I actually felt the stadium shake. It went so crazy in the, the vet that day. The only other time, and I went to a lot of events at the vet, um, was when Mitch Williams struck out the Atlanta Brave to get the Phillies to the World Series in 1993. Two times in my since I've been in Philadelphia in 1990 that I actually felt the stadium shake, both at the vet. One was Mitch Williams getting the last out of the NLCS, and the other was Emmett Smith stopped on fourth and one twice. Uh, so Cowboys and Eagles has been a great rivalry for a long time. Will we get a great game on Sunday? I'll come back. We'll get that much more into the matchup with Jeff Kerr going in for John McMullen right here on Birds 365. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go to get your spin on. Go to get your spa on. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub. And in your drink, go for the steaks and the steak. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. 
Holy shit. The glass is for cocktails, right? It's for this, 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 and that. Is the length of the glass equal to your... You betcha. But is it made out of... Glass? Okay, but is the rim... Smooth? Will you stop doing... That? I'm the professional here. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. All from the company that's highly awarded. Zero cars, zero sugar, and deliciously tasting vodka. So good, it just disappears. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messon Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resorts. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. We'll be back again tomorrow. And then, yes, before the Eagles ever take the field, we'll have a Monday show because the Eagles play on Monday night against the Cowboys this week. Divisional showdown, two one-and-one teams, the team that wins, guaranteed to, at the very least, be tied for first place come next Tuesday. Who does Washington play again this week, Jeff? I don't remember. In, In Buffalo. In Buffalo. So uh, good luck to them. Don't think they're winning in Buffalo. So uh, whoever does win, I think will be in sole possession of first place between the Cowboys and the Eagles. Um, We know how it's gone so far for the Eagles this year. An impressive win week one in Atlanta, a game in which they were an underdog. Uh, A loss this past week at home against the 49ers in which they were an underdog. This week, they take on the Cowboys in Dallas where they will be an underdog. They have been an underdog three straight times. Um, But the thing I want to talk with Jeff about is play calling. Nick Sirianni was borderline genius after week one, at least if you listen to Eagle Nation. He did. He drew up a very good game plan. Uh, They executed it well, moved the ball very effectively. One going away. Uh, You got to give him the major thumbs up for the play calling in week number one. Week number two, and this is exact opposite. Uh, not as good. 
very questionable goal line play calling overall, not getting the ball to the tight end, not using the middle of the field. Uh, a lot of questions you could ask about Nick Sirianni's play calling in week number two. So he went from genius to borderline village idiot. We know that somewhere there in the middle is the actual play caller that Nick Sirianni is. So I'm going to ask you, which way do you lean more toward this year? Because he's not going to come down directly in the middle of those two things either. He'll either be more like week one or week two. Tell us why you think he'll lean more toward the genius slash unbelievably effective play caller or the lost has no idea what he's doing play caller. Oh, I definitely don't think he's going to be as bad as he was last week. Um, you know, let's be honest here. And now I, I got to give, I really question Nick Sirianni's play calling too. As I said on Monday, I did not like all the deep balls. I didn't like how he was, didn't really run 12 personnel that much, but I got to give them credit. You know, the matchup was the matchup. And, you know, I didn't think Josh Norman and uh, Diamandre Lee and Noir were going to shut down the Eagles wide receivers. And maybe I felt the Eagles wide receivers will, were a little bit better than that. And, but you know, he took a shot and, I kind of like how that's how he felt the game dictated. He just did it a little too much. But overall, I think Nick Sirianni, it's going to vary week to week because that's what you expect out of a rookie head coach. You're going to have your great days. You're going to have your bad days. And I don't mind Nick Sirianni being aggressive at times. I don't. I think the red zone play calling has to get better. And you have to use your quarterback to determine that. It's their best play on that disastrous red zone possession was the third down call when he rolled Jalen Hurts to the outside. He probably should have did that on first down. I think you got to use your mobile quarterback to the best of your ability there. And if Nick Sirianni can just be a more consistent and better play caller in the red zone, I think the rest will eliminate itself. Like, I, I expect Nick Sirianni to be, as he would quote it, 1% better this week. Uh, you and I are going to disagree. Uh, I think I thought the third down play call – was hideously bad. An RPO sprinting out in which both players are going in the same direction? Why? Well, you did it on first down. That's where I was getting at. Like, that should have been the first call, and then you go, okay, we're just going to pound it up the middle. But I, every head coach does this, and it frustrates me. But yet you got the 49er, Kyle Shanahan, who ran laps around Nick Sirianni, by the way. Let's just sneak Jimmy Garoppolo in. It makes a lot more sense. And, I digress. Mm. All right. Um, yeah, I thought that, uh, let's see. The first play call I thought was actually okay. Um, you go with a play fake if you believe that you're going to be able to pound it in onto a neck. If you don't complete it, out of the back of the end zone. Yeah. Uh, I didn't have a problem with the Ertz play call. I had a problem with the design of the play where Ertz is the only option. I know you're trying to sell out. I know you're trying to make it look the other way. So you believe it's going to get him more open because you're so overloading one side, but I always like to have a quarterback at least have a secondary option. He didn't urge with the only one. So I didn't like the design of the play, but the actual decision to run that type of a play, I didn't have a problem with. Um, that's third and fourth down, just ridiculously bad on, on both ends. And uh, Sirianni held himself accountable thereafter, which I will also give him some credit for. He took some bullets, but you got to be better than that. And I think they will be, as you said, uh, can't be as bad as he was this past week. But the Cowboys are an underdog, Jeff, for the third consecutive time. Next week against Kansas City, even though the game is at Lincoln Financial Field, they're going to be an underdog. 
The yeah. Carolina Panthers going to be interesting because Carolina plays tonight. They're two and zero, and they've got the Texans coming to town, uh, which should lend itself. Or they're going down to Houston to take on the Texans, where they're an underdog. They could very well be three and zero. So the worst they could be the week after against the Eagles is going to be three and one. That's a that's a to be determined one, but it is in Carolina. So if you ask me to make a line on it. Two weeks in advance, I would say slight favor Carolina. The week after that, Tampa's coming to town. Yeah, I think the Eagles are going to be an underdog in that one. And then they go to Vegas, which nice will be the Raiders are 2-0 and and look pretty good so far. The week after that, they're at Detroit. All right, even though it's a road game, that's the first one I'm guaranteeing the Eagles are the favorite in. The Detroit Lions in game, what is that? What are we up to? Game seven? Can we go six straight games of that's Eagles game, being the underdog? Yeah, that's game eight. So, yeah, seven straight. It's very possible. Um, I still don't know what to make of Carolina yet. I mean, their defense is good. Don't get me wrong. And But I just look at – I didn't think the Saints are going to be that great. I didn't think they, they're as good as the team that beat Green Bay, but I don't think they're as bad as the team that they looked against Carolina. I think that was more Carolina's defense. And I hate to rip on your Jets, Jody, but they beat the Jets week one. I'm not, I'm not going to – you know, get overhyped on, on the Carolina Panthers. I'm definitely not going to get overhyped when I do this game tonight because it's the Texans. They, they're playing a rookie quarterback, too. It's They'll play hard for about half, but then talent will overmatch everything. And, yeah, it's going to be tough to judge this Carolina team. I I, I actually think the Raiders are kind of good, but they started 2-0 the last two years, too, and look how they ended up. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It's I'm not liking this Eagles schedule right now. They they better win Monday night. That's all I got to say. That's, that's kind of why I was putting it out there, because Monday night is kind of a key, because the games coming up don't get any easier. As a matter of fact, in a couple of cases, they get significantly harder than Dallas and Dallas, so it does put a, a little added pressure on top of it. Um, Thursday night or tonight, you don't think the Texans have an upset possibility in them, do you, with Davis Mills at the uh, quarterback position? Tyrod Taylor is what he is. He's a veteran guy, game manager, manager did manage a victory over the Jaguars in week number one and had them in a uh, better position before he got hurt week number two against the Browns. You don't think the Texans – will home cooking be enough for them to be able to pull an upset against the Panthers? I think they, they'd have a much better shot Tyrod Taylor were healthy. Unfortunately, he's not. I, look, like they have some players on that team. But their defense is god awful, and I picked the Texans to go one in sixteen for CBS this year, and I got absolutely hammered by Texas. I had fun with it too because I'm like, hey, I'm like, hey, maybe you guys will be like Jacksonville and lose sixteen. So, oh, that's not gonna happen. We Jack- Jacksonville, we- Jacksonville only lost fifteen. The Texans are gonna have to lose sixteen in a row if they're gonna go one and whatever. I told them, I'm, I'm like, you guys can put me on freezing cold takes all you want if. If they win two games, I'm like, I don't care. I, I had some fun with it. I just, and you know, it, 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 I think that's where I get along with Texas fans a lot. They, they know I like busting on myself when it comes to that stuff. So I'm like, hey, you know, I really hope you don't go one in 16. But I did think it was kind of funny that they did win the first game. And it, yeah, when we did our CBS picks, it wasn't even because they had different people do it. And everybody overhyped every team. And then they're like, then you got Kerr who actually, actually picks a team to suck. And I'm like, well, they, you gave me the Texans. So what was I supposed to do there? But I digress. I, I just, I'm not excited for this game at all. I'm excited to watch Carolina's defense and that's about it. It's 
I'm not going to get overhyped on Sam Darnold and Christian McCaffrey just torching this team. All right. I will say this, um, and uh, some of it is luck. Some of it is good planning and strategy. Uh, the primetime games so far this year have been really good. Yeah, they have. Uh, <laughs> if they're being decided by what's good and what's not good, by it hangs in the balance in the last several minutes of the game. Well, they've all been pretty damn good, whether you're talking about the first Thursday nighter and Thursday nights thereafter into Sunday night, into Monday night. Uh, the Raiders overtime game against the Ravens was phenomenal. Um, some of that is a little luck of the schedule, but give uh, the network credit. They picked out good games and it's played out that uh, it has been exciting right down to the last minute. You don't think we're getting that tonight? I don't think so, but we are getting some NFL history tonight, Jody. Do you know what it is? NFL history, I had no idea. What are you talking about? This is the first of the 17 games. The this this matchup is the first of the Oh, it the, wouldn't the wouldn't have been on the schedule if not for the additional game exactly. being added. Yeah. So this is the first of the, I think there's two or three this weekend, if I'm not mistaken. Actually, there's definitely two because Washington Buffalo is the other one. And this year's 17th game for the Philadelphia Eagles, I will be in attendance. I'm telling you that right now. Uh, I was planning on going to the Jets-Eagles this year because I have tickets. Um, but it was, you remember, the massive rainstorm they yeah. had right before. And it's a preseason game. I said, do I really want to go sit out in this? Because they did project that it was going to hit. And damn, if it didn't hit right before the game started. So I said, yeah, I'm not going. I just stayed home and watched it on TV because if you eat preseason tickets, you don't really worry about it that much. But uh, that is a game that I am planning on attending Eagles Jets at the uh, at MetLife, a.k.a. the Meadowlands, a little bit later this year. That's a game I'm hoping to cover this year, too. Um, first Eagles game I'm hoping to cover is the Chiefs game. And I'm probably not even going to get credentials via the Eagles. Probably going to get them via the Chiefs. I'm most likely going there for the Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes stuff. But you know, yeah, that's one of those Eagles road games I kind of want to go to because MetLife Stadium's not that far, and I kind of want to see Zach Wilson. And you know, it's just, you know, it's Eagles Jets, seventeenth game. It's it's something, you know. It's it's just one of those games that you feel like, hey, you know what? It's wouldn't be bad to go out on a Sunday. I don't get to go out most Sundays anymore, so I think that that's on the list this year. If you are covering that game, it's going to end up as an expensive game for me because I promised by you, McMullen, and my daughter all a cold one before the game starts. So, well, uh, put that one put that one on your calendar, Kerr. Worst for me. I'll, I'll take a Miller, Jody. All right, J.K. Enjoy the game on Sunday. Thanks for uh, filling in for Johnny Mac today. Appreciate it greatly. By the way, I got to show some love to Brian Westbrook here. Um, that is my favorite Eagles Cowboys game when Brian Westbrook slid the one yard line. <laughs> Smart, smart guys that fantasy players hated, hated those Brian Westbrook. I <laughs> Were you playing against him that week? I, you know what? I actually interviewed him Tuesday and we were talking about that. He goes, did you have me or did you face me? I'm like, I faced you, won the championship because of your slide. I said, so I got the best of both worlds out of the deal. From a football IQ sense, genius play. I love From it. a fantasy football player's back-breaking play uh but we uh we'll see if there's any type of play like that in this upcoming eagles cowboys game on monday night jeff thanks buddy uh we'll get you up sometime next week appreciate it greatly yeah sounds good looks like i'll be on a lot next week with mcmullen on the road <laughs> right uh johnny max got travel duties he'll be down there monday as well which means we will be punching up as a guest he'll be rejoining me tomorrow 22 hours from now as the co-host of birds 365
If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.